Welcome to Unlocking Brand, a part of our Siegel & Gale podcast series. Here, our global brand experts host live case studies, deliver actionable insights, and answer key questions on the topics that matter to brand marketers today. In this episode, Melanie Marcus, Chief Marketing Officer, SureScripts, joins our colleagues Brian Rafferty, Global Director, Business Analytics and Insights, and Margaret Malloy, Global Chief Marketing Officer, for an in-depth conversation that explores how to use brand as a strategic business asset. This is Siegel & Gale Says. Hello and welcome to the Siegel & Gale Future of Branding Unlocking Brand series. I'm your host, Margaret Malloy, Global Chief Marketing Officer of Siegel & Gale. Siegel & Gale is a brand-led experience firm for the past 50 years, we have been helping build some of the world's most important brands. In this series, a CMO and a Siegel & Gale branding expert take us behind the scenes for a look at an exceptional brand building case. In today's episode, we are going to explore some of the most frequently asked questions I get from CMOs, especially B2B CMOs how to manage brand as an asset, how to extend perceptions beyond the original offering, the role of research in creating clarity, how to achieve C-level alignment, and indeed, how to brand a partner ecosystem. And to explore this, I am joined by a CMO who has systematically created a brand program that is driving business results, and a Siegel & Gale colleague who, together with his team, has been with her throughout this journey. So, please join me in welcoming Melanie Marcus, CMO of SureScripts, and my Siegel & Gale colleague, Brian Rafferty, our Global Head of Research and Insights. Thank you both, and a very good afternoon. Good afternoon. It's great to be here. Thanks, so Margaret. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, Melanie. So for our guests, we invite you to put your questions in the Q&A and I will address those to Brian and Melanie throughout. We hope to keep this a really interactive discussion. So, Melanie, let's get started. I remember chatting with you in 2017 and uh, relatively new in role at the time, set the stage for us. What was the context of the SureScripts brand that you came in to work with? Sure, sure. In 2017, I did join SureScripts and really an amazing organization. At the time, SureScripts had really just finished building electronic prescribing across the country. And that's what SureScripts was known for. It had also just finished launching a number of new products beyond electronic prescribing that would exchange clinical information, medication information, et cetera, across the healthcare ecosystem in the United States and needed to be known for more than electronic prescribing in order for those to be successful. I also came into an organization ripe with thought leadership. I mean, I would walk down the halls and the people I would talk with, I was just amazed at the experts at SureScripts in this industry. And we really didn't have much out in the market talking about this. So those were two big things that needed to be solved to be able to put us on a trajectory to build this next generation 
of information exchange in the US. So anchor us today, Melanie, what is your brand purpose? We are a purpose-driven organization and we have, and we'll talk about this, we have gone through a bit of an evolution of this purpose statement so it can take us into the future. Our purpose, and I will make sure I'll read the whole statement and we use pieces of this all the time to make decisions, but we serve that SureScript serves the nation with simpler, trusted health intelligence sharing too, and this is really important in order to uh, increase patient safety, reduce cost, and improve quality. And if my research is correct, you're used by, gosh, almost 2 million healthcare professionals and organizations. So that gives us a sense for the scale of your impact. Yeah, I would add that in 2017, when I came, uh, ShareScripts had just released information saying they had done 11 billion transactions in healthcare. We just, we our, our latest, we do this annually. So 2021 is our latest data. It was over 20 billion transactions and less than 20% of those are electronic prescribing. So we've grown far beyond electronic prescribing since I've been here. And that's the heart of this case study. And that classic question, Brian and I and our colleagues get all the time from a brand that's known for excellence in one area, how to indeed extend that uh, perception. And that's where we're going to dig in a little more deeply. Brian, you know, this question brand, it gets used a lot in, in your world. How do you, in the context of SureScripts, think about What's the job to be done by a brand in in that setting? Sure. I mean, I think, you know, the brand actually has has many jobs, but, you know, one of its first jobs to to build on Melanie's points is to really, you know, get people in the consideration set, if you will, for, for what the, the company offers. Um, and so that's sort of job number one. But I think job number two is is brand is the way to make sure that the future course is sort of set in the direction you want it to go and to align everyone to that direction and to make sure that sort of ideally all decisions are made with that direction in mind if you will as to what does the brand stand for what should the brand stand for going forward and then what are we going to do to to make that happen so pick up that point melanie in terms of the brand in action can sure. you illustrate that for us? The implication is it's it's more than words and pictures. It certainly sounds like a strategic asset. Absolutely. So I talk about this and, and our sales team feels this, that as you know, brand is reputation and it's what's in the room before you get there. And if your reputation is good, it's more than if your reputation is good or great. It's is it what you mean it to be? If if you stand for the purpose that I just stated, is that in the room before you get there? If it is, then your path, once you get to the room and you're working with customers or prospects, is a lot easier than if you go into the room and you've got to build or defend against something that is not necessarily what you want. So that's a key piece. And I always say to, you know, the organization and and our head of sales does as well. You know, you don't want to be in a transactional business. You want to be in a relationship business. And so if you're in a relationship business, a brand reputation is part of, you know, what you're known for before you enter that room and why someone picks up the phone to call you when they have another business issue that you might be able to solve. 
That's a really interesting dichotomy, transactional versus relationship, although perhaps it's more of a spectrum really than a dichotomy. How do you navigate that conversation internally? Because, um, you know, transactions need to occur. How do you how do you balance that? That's great. Yes, they do need to occur. And what we found is that we found that the solution, you know, it's all about matching what you actually deliver with the message you're delivering. You've got to you've got to have the two match. And as our portfolio has grown, the interplay in the portfolio has been important. So, you know, we're not just selling product A, we're selling product A as part of a set of products that work better if you have them together. So that's interesting, but that means that our sales team, when they're going out to talk, if you only talk about product A, you leave a whole bunch of differentiation for SureScripts on the table. And that is all the brand differentiation that comes along with it. So critical to advancing that mission is CEO and C-level alignment among your peers. Talk to us about how you've continued to grow that through your tenure at SureScripts. Sure. Uh, so the first thing that was important to me in choose, you know, in in looking at the job at SureScripts was that the senior team and the CEO was very much on board with brand as an important asset. So if I had come into an organization where it was just about lead gen then brand may not have been on the table and it would have been a much steeper hill to climb. Um, the second thing, and then I'll pass it to Brian because I know Brian's been along for this journey. Uh, the second thing was really once we started, we started this brand project within probably three or four months of me coming to SureScripts and we went through a whole process to select the agency and we selected Siegel and Gale. And part of that is really making sure that you have an agency who, if you're gonna be working on big brand um, work that's going to stay with an organization for a long time, this is not just a year, this is a long time part of who the organization is, you wanna make sure you have an agency who you can present to your executive team or to your CEO. And that was part of the, the work that we did to select Siegel and Gale. And Brian, you've been here the whole project, so I'm sure you have yes. And I think a note there to all the CMOs in the audience listening, choose your company carefully. If you want to be in the business of building a brand, figure out if that is aligned with your peers and CEO, because if, if they subscribe to a more transactional near-term lead generation mentality, you may not have that ability to have that meeting of minds. So that's a very practical commentary, Melanie. So Brian, pick it up here. What had you observed as you work with Melanie in this process around C-level alignment? Sure. I mean, I think one, it's it's having them all feel like they are the contributors, which they are truly in building the brand. I think that's uh, something that Melanie has done really well in bringing everyone to the table and not only bringing them to the table in a way where they sort of feel like, oh, you know, the box is being ticked and being talked to, but where they actually value the conversation. I think, um, I mean, that's one thing I've observed at Shores Scripts is every senior executive I've spoken to has seen these opportunities to sort of think about and talk about brand 
as being this moment of, okay, I get to step away from my immediate concerns and, you know, immediate role and get to think strategically about the future of the organization, where it should go, you know, what the challenges are, et cetera. And, and I think that both brings people in, but that also m means that then what you do from a brand standpoint is going to be effective because everybody is actually aligned to it and also feels like they have a stake in it and and gets it you know just in terms of of its impact and its importance and and i think also to what melanie was saying from a, a long-term standpoint something that is always sort of the least sexy topic about brand but is really actually and and often people sort of push back on it because it's like oh we want something new and innovative etc but consistency is in incredibly important and and People, I, this isn't something I came up with. I can't remember who first told it to me, but I thought it was a great statement, which is people internally get way bored with the mm. brand way sooner than anyone externally ever gets bored because they're not seeing it as often. And so uh, there's a real importance. So obviously you want to transform. You want to stay with the times. You want to actually transform the brand as the business transforms. So it's not about it being static, but it is about making sure that you have some consistent foundations and that those things actually are repeated so that people get it. So that, you know, to that point about when you walk in the room, people will only have that impression if they've heard it a whole bunch of times beforehand and and not just heard something new each time. Such an important point, Brian, and I see it all the time, in particular as it relates to content, that the internal colleagues have heard it and feel it's old, but they may assume that the market has heard it with the same degree of um, paying attention and frequency, which is invariably not the case. So there's an element of strategic patience involved there. You, you said something interesting, Brian, I'd love for you to double click on it you sort of aligned the early stage brand work with indeed business strategy. It sounded like the brand and business strategy were viewed together in those C-level conversations you've been having. It wasn't, we've got our whole business strategy, oh, and then there's brand over here. Uh, could you elaborate on that, Brian? Sure. I mean, one, obviously, they need to work together. I mean, it doesn't make sense for them to be separate, you know, and depending on because obviously, per, per working with Melanie, it has been over a whole number of years, you know, and, and depending on the times, the business strategy sometimes has been ahead of the brand. And it's about sort of thinking about, well, how does the brand help accomplish that business strategy? Other times it's potentially be the, being the brand that's been more sort of the lead, if you will, at which point then the business strategy, it it, it helps people make decisions around the business strategy when we think about the priorities in the business strategy. So I do think it's, a, yeah, I mean, something that has a, a an interplay. And again, I think that's what is important about engaging C-suite executives the right way is if they understand that, not only do they value it, but then, then you know, they're making better decisions, frankly, down the, down the line. Right. I'm just going to push briefly. What do you mean the right way? Everyone wants to do it the right way. You've worked with so many clients. In your observation, what was right about how Melanie set up that context beyond just selecting a company that shared her point of view that brand mattered? Sure. I mean, I think it is doing things also in the right process, if you will. So it's getting inputs. It's also people feeling that they are, that their input is part of whatever end solution is going, you know, end definition, if you will, of brand is going to happen in the sense that it's not like okay, you're coming already with a hypothesis and you're just, you know, trying to get me to agree to your hypothesis. It really is sort of having that sort of open discussion where you're gathering all of the inputs, which are both 
external inputs, sort of understanding what's going to move the needle externally, but then also understanding internally what are the ambitions, you know, what are what are people trying to accomplish, what is important, and then bringing those together, and then also bringing people into the process in the sense of giving them options and saying, okay, there, you know, there, there's sort of three ways this could go. Which one of these actually feels like? It's most aligned to, to, you know, what people feel like. So it's, it's giving people, bringing them into the process, if you will, in the right way. And Melanie, that can take some time. And when I talk to CMOs often, there is this desire to show results quickly. What I've observed in your approach is what I call strategic patience. How do you react to that characterization? You know, I think about building a I mean, we're still on this journey. Like, you never stop building a brand. So... You know, we started with a project in 2017 that was about a six to nine month project, which had an immediate and important impact on the business. So it it wasn't that was an immediate and important impact on the business. And Brian, just to give a little insight, that was we had a lot of new products and we didn't really have a great construct for talking about them. And it was very hard to uh, talk about who SureScripts really was and how our products all fit together. So we did a project there, immediate and important impact on the business. Over time then, we evolved it and we ended up, you know, every, this is staying in touch with where the brand, where, where the brand is, keeping, keeping all of the tactical work going that you've got going, but sometimes a brand thing would pop up we had another one pop up where we were really the the trust and the network became really important to who SureScripts is. And we needed to build to it. And we needed to really make that part of the brand. And that's when we reached out and worked on what ultimately became network integrity and our commitment to network integrity and a whole definition about what it means that the business has built now processes to the way that we talk about it in the brand. So those are just some examples. So there's patience, but it's there are there are wins along the way. So it's it's not a five year process to finally have a win. There are wins along the way. Very, very interesting. Now you touched briefly there on the network. And I know you have um a certain perspective around convening and alliances. Talk about the importance of brand in that aspect of stakeholder experiences, your ecosystem, if you will. So ShareScripts is a network where we, you know, two it requires it requires a, a pharmacy to have access and a physician on the other side to be able to write a prescription or a pharmacy benefit manager to have a benefit that's showing in the system so the physician can see the cost of a prescription when they're writing it. So multiple sides of the healthcare ecosystem have to use any of these products in order for them to work. And so the way we worked that through in this first project was to actually establish a name for what we call all of our participants in the Network Alliance. It's the ShareScripts Network Alliance. And we weren't sure, we, we have a name for it. We have a, a graphic that displays it. We weren't exactly sure how it was gonna take off. And that one we've been patient with as well. We've used it, you know, used the name Network Alliance whenever we're doing our customer conference or our our advisory councils and that kind of thing. 
And now we're starting to really see that come to life as a true convening experience. So when we bring multiple parts of the network together from different segments, that is a convening that has a that has a certain experience expectations from our customers that they can't get anywhere else. And that is part of being a participant in the Network Alliance. And it's a really great example of brand experience in an ecosystem. Anything further you want to say about that, Brian? Because all the communications around the Alliance are pretty important to create the right expectations. Sure. I mean, I'd say, you know, the thing that's actually really interesting about it is one, instead of talking about customers, talking about the Network Alliance, it one highlights the importance of the role. You know, it's not Shores Groups doing something to a set of customers, if you will. It's about everybody doing things together. And then the other piece of it is it's also not about Shorescripts just being a, if you will, blank connector between all of these entities. It really speaks just in the language to Shorescripts role in being able to not just funnel information, but get the right information to the right people for the right purpose and to actually protect that. And in the sense, because that's one of the things, especially with you know health information that's most important is, you know, you don't want people getting the wrong information and using it for, for the wrong purposes, either at an individual level or at a, you know, at a macro level. So I think that's sort of what's interesting about that term is I think it does a lot of different things, if you will, in a quite simple and straightforward way. And that's also important. And, and actually, one thing I wanted to build on something Melanie said, which is also around sort of, you know, how to best engage executives is, as she said, per the first project and any project we've done together that's about brand, she's always actually contextualize it first as a business problem the brand is helping to solve it's not it's not a brand problem i mean obviously it can also be a brand problem but it, it's a business problem that the brand is the actual sort of best means to to address if you will so i think that's uh anyway i i just think that's a, a really interesting way of thinking about it that, it that hopefully can help others and it sounds very evident but as you and i know that's not always where the cmos frame the opportunity yeah, correct. That's what makes brand interesting because it's this abstract concept to some degree that can be used, you know, for many things. Now, the downside of it is per it being sort of abstract, it can mean different things to different people. And there is in terms of, I think, CMOs and just marketing in general, the ultimate sort of immediate pressure of demand gen and anyway, you know, doing these things that are in some ways end up being more, more tactical. That's where brand is also important for CMOs because it's this ability to, okay, let me take a step back from all of those things and think longer term and, and have this vehicle in order to, to solve some different problems. Yes. Now, there's some curiosity coming in on the chat around Melanie's comment around content and thought leadership. Melanie, you indicated you were surrounded by some very thoughtful expert colleagues when you arrived. How did you work to codify that into thought leadership? Yes, that was an exciting evolution. And it started with first, we had to hire some great writers. So we have a creative team here that includes some copywriters, but we also have an editorial team. And they are working with the thought leaders regularly to do that. We had to then train our teams. We did a lot of speaker training. And I would say I rarely run into anybody at SureScripts anymore who wouldn't be happy being put on the road and being put in front of somebody because they know we're going to support them. We're going to prep them. We're going to give them the background that they need to be successful because we've really done a good amount of training. The other piece is that 
and this is really I, it's been important here is that there is a there is a brand ladder so you know you got sure scripts you've got our right and part of that ladder is the topics that we need to be known for and there can't be a million of them because it won't matter it won't do anything to build the brand there are a certain number of them and they might change every year or two a little bit but they won't change every month they won't change every quarter they they need to be built for example interoperability is one of them right now medication affordability and adherence you see us talking a lot about it's one of those thought leader pillars specialty medications is one when i came we were talking about opioids and how you know and the importance of electronic prescribing for controlled substance so and that has now we've had so much progress there that we can start to move at least that piece aside so those are some of the elements of how we built the thought leadership in the organization and as you think about that editorial calendar how do you balance owned media versus earned media, PR versus your own properties? We're always looking at our metrics and we're most proud of our earned media. Whenever it's earned, that means the content was great and that people are, you know, people are engaging. So our earned tends to be pretty high. And if we are on a topic or, or doing something that's not, then we, we know we're having a problem there. Our paid is tends to be much more focused. And that's where we use some of the, you know, AI and that kind of thing to focus exactly the audience that we're going to use paid for. And that honestly tends to be more on the lead gen or nurture side mm -hmm. so that we're like maximizing our dollars. Understood. Brian, I'm going to turn to you on a topic Melanie also introduced, which is the complexity of the portfolio of offerings at SureScripts. What sometimes we at Siegel and Gale talk about around their product architecture. So talk to us a little bit about the approach we helped uh, Melanie and team articulate for the framework of the various offerings. Sure. And, and that was, you know, how we first started working together to, because to, to Melanie's point, that was, if you will, one of the sort of pressing business needs is Shorescripts was developing new offerings all the time. Um, and as often happens, right, when that's being done without sort of a, a more macro, maybe, um, and not just actually, that I'm going to sort of touch on this sort of, it's not just about a portfolio architecture, it's really about a brand architecture. And they're, they're linked, but they're not mm -hmm. the exact same thing, if you will. You know, the challenge was, which happens all the time, is people naming product, you know, every new every new offering was having a new name. Uh, but the new name was potentially not linking it to the previous offering that it was coming from or or, or should be bundled with or, or, you know, a part of things that were capabilities or, if you will, just an added, if you will, capability to an existing offering was being named as if it was a new offering, so creating further confusion. Anyway, there were lots of those things that sort of down at the at the very kind of like bottom level, if you will, of, of of the architecture. But then the other sort of bigger macro thing is, and that's sort of what's important about brand architecture opposed to just portfolio architecture is how do we actually talk about at the highest level what we do and what we're offering? And in that it's the portfolio, and which in this case was about, you know, making sure that what Shorescripts was already known and famous for enhancing prescribing was obviously still a core part of the portfolio. But then that equal 
weight and and attention was put on informing care decisions, which was what was not yet you know really what the the organization was known for as well as what a lot of the new offerings were were geared to doing you know helping physicians and others make better decisions on behalf of their patients with with the information that SureScripts can enable them to get and then completely outside of the portfolio a third if you will prong which is advancing healthcare you know really being actually and that's that's one of the important things about SureScripts is it performs an essential role to the you know the healthcare of of all Americans and as such it's really a thought and you know per the thought leadership question to to Melanie, there's a lot of thought leadership, a lot of, uh, you know, an important role that Shawscripts has actually at being a voice out there in, in terms of healthcare. And that should also be part, you know, that's just as important as a portfolio, if you will. And, and so that's why there's kind of a macro brand architecture with that. And then obviously the portfolio has to make sense within that. And Melanie, how has that framework served you as new products have been launched over the period since uh, you've worked on that architecture? Sure, great question, because we think about that architecture all the time right now. Is it time, is it time, is it time to rethink the architecture? That architecture has lasted since we really rolled that out in January of 2018, and we still use it today. And so far at the moment, it's not time to revisit, which has been great. What's happened though, is that the architecture itself used to be the front of our story, and now it's not. Now we've got that and it can be a little bit behind the results of the work that we do. And so it's not quite the front of the story anymore. And the front is more purpose-oriented at this purpose -oriented. point? Pretty classic evolution, isn't it? From starting with a product orientation, fomenting that architecture, and then um, having that purpose, the confidence to go forward with a purpose articulation. Yeah, it's been a it's been a really interesting ride. And back to the to the point of starting with the business issue. My experience in marketing has been. I mean, I've had plenty of the experiences prior to this one where you know you're defending the value of marketing and you're defending the need for brand, etc. And I really learned during those experiences that it probably was not my best path to defend marketing, but rather to learn the business problems of, that the business is facing and light, and not even explain, wrong word, because if I explain, then that's not it, but bring, bring the solution in a different way. And if I wasn't talking marketing speak, usually that was my better bet. It's a subtle distinction, but a meaningful one, I imagine, in terms of achieving that sea level alignment we talked about at the beginning. Yes. Melanie, unsurprisingly, we are getting questions around measurement. How do you measure the efficacy of this investment in brand, particularly as it relates to business growth or indeed any other KPI that matters on your dashboard? Sure. Well, of course, we're measuring the revenue goals, right, for the organization. Are we overall meeting them? We stay fully engaged with our sales team. So they are, you know, giving us feedback regularly on how this is working. We do, obviously, like the, the typical marketing influenced opportunities and, 
you know, share a voice, that kind of thing. But over the last few years, what I've found to be incredibly helpful, and I did not do this when I came, a lot of CMOs start with this, and I, I think perhaps there's good reason to start with this. I did not, which is a reputation survey. <laughs> but over time, we've done it. It's been incredibly useful. And we do set our KPIs for brand, the brand portion, around favorability and consideration. And we've done that, and, and Brian helped architect this study, so I'm sure maybe this is a good time to turn it to you with one other caveat to, to the KPIs, that net promoter score is also incredibly important because this isn't just a marketing piece. This is does the overall experience all match? So net promoter score, favorability, consideration, and then all those other things that we talk about like marketing influenced opportunities. I have a ton of double clicks, but first, Brian, pick up that on the design of the, the survey instrument and what mattered there. There's just one. Obviously, we want to understand all those those key, if you will, sort of KPIs per favorability and consideration and, and how they all link together. I think just the other piece is, you know, it's just key to understand which perceptions are really going to most drive the needle and and to actually understand that, you know, I mean, in the case of, of the work we've done with Melanie is sort of understanding is there a difference between our, our kind of core audience and then, you know, the, an audience that potentially we haven't yet engaged as much or is newer to us? And what's what are the differences there so that, so that you know, one can potentially flex or at least understand if there are meaningful differences or what the meaningful similarities are? So I think that's that's just an added piece is sort of also linking that kind of perceptual piece in a, in a way that helps provide direction as to which perceptions one wants to build most. Yes, Brian, you, one of the places I wanted to go, which is the original offering, the e-prescribing, had its target market. As you expanded the portfolio, Melanie, were you also expanding the buyer community or the influencer community that mattered? Yes, and that is that is some of the work that Brian references too. Is So we look at the core markets and how is the brand doing in the core markets? And we look at what we call stretch markets, markets that are newer to us and how is the brand doing there year over year is the consider is the favorite house favorability. What's the consideration and how do we do on the attributes that we've we've determined uh, based on research that are most important to driving either of those favorability or consideration that has been um, that's been an important part of this. And you know what our teams beyond marketing enjoy seeing the high level outcome of that research they they enjoy it too so i imagine it's a source of pride it is to what degree does your performance in that survey impact your ability to get investment because i think that's at the heart of the questions i'm getting here which is how do you get the budget frankly to continue incrementally advancing a holistic approach to brand with your studies and your various programming? So brand is part of the ongoing infrastructure of marketing. So it is part of my ongoing infrastructure of the budget as well. Some years it's a smaller portion of my budget because it's a smaller level of effort. And some years it's a bit larger portion of my budget and it will take things away from other areas. So I haven't gone and said, here's the big, you know, the big dollar investment that I need for a brand because we've, we've approached it 
over five years plus, right? Every year we do a little more on brand. We approach it in that way, not as a big, huge investment in one place. And how do I keep getting that investment and not have that taken away? It is the surveys, you know, the the data. It is honestly, the end of the day, it's not just about building, measuring, evolving the brand. It's also about defending the brand. So when you're out in a competitive marketplace, things can happen. And you, if you're seeing it and you can see it impact your reputation and you all feel it when you're out in the marketplace, you know something has to be done. And so we've done a lot of work and just the plain, you know, making sure that our, it's not really right to say, but it's, but defend the brand is strong too. And that's when people start to feel it as well. And it gets back to your earlier commentary around supporting brand as a business asset. I feel that message is coming through very clearly. One of the most frequent pieces of advice I get when I talk to new CMOs is get your baseline get that data as soon as is feasible. And then you have a framework essentially to identify how you've moved the needle. And it sounds like you, you've you gone in that direction consistently as well, Melanie. Yeah. I want to change gears momentarily to talk about the role of channel partners. You touched on sales and the old classic B2B language that's ringing in my head is sales enablement sales tools, channel partner programs. Talk to us about how that work intersects with brand. Maybe you start us, Melanie, and and Brian can build on that. Great. Yes. So part of building this team is we have a fantastic team and it includes a fantastic team building our partner program and our sales enablement program. So sales enablement for our team is really every single thing we do in the organization. It comes through, you know, a product, a new product feature, a new product comes through, comes through the sales enablement and marketing team to bring it back out to our sales team, even before we bring it out to the marketplace. So we're helping train sales on here's the message, here's the target market, et cetera. But the partner program is different even still. So by virtue of what we do, providers, let's just stick with prescribers or doctors, need to be able to access, let's just stick with electronic prescribing for the sake of it for now, electronic prescribing in their electronic health record. Actually, let's go to a different one. We've brought out in the last several years, the ability for a physician to see the price of your prescription based on where you're at in your benefit and the price of several therapeutic alternatives. So they can say, oh, this one's gonna cost $150, but this one won't, so maybe we'll go with this one. So that, once we get it into the electronic health record so that the prescriber can see it, now the prescriber, the doctor, needs to know it's there, needs to be trained, and needs to actually adopt and use that information. We don't do that, not normally. It's really the electronic health record organization who now makes that part of their own program. With SureScripts in the background as a partner, we've built a whole partner marketing program to help tool up our partners, in this case, electronic health records, to do that work. And Brian, that's where where Siegel and Gale came in and the original work on that. 
what's interesting about the challenge is to that is you have to sort of enable the partner to make the sale for you, if you will, or, or to to educate for you. And so the, the solution to that was to create materials that they could as easily as possible repurpose. So in some ways they were non-branded. They were all about short scripts, but they were sort of non-branded, but designed in a way that was going to be appealing to any of these different EHRs and, if you will, channel partners, for lack of a better way of describing them, to to be able to sort of just repurpose them for their own benefit. Because it's obviously also to their benefit to get their end users to be using more and more capabilities um, for, you know, from from the EHR. I think that's a, that's a, also one of the interesting things as a brand challenge for Scripts sort of as a whole is it is a sort of brand that's behind the scenes in a way, in the sense that a lot of you know the the way people are experiencing it is then through these EHRs who are the delivery mechanism if you will and and i think one of the challenges there and that goes back to sort of brand reputation and is also you want to given that role you still want to be given the credit for all the fantastic things that you enable and the risk is always that instead of being given the credit you're always just being given the problem <laughs> in the sense that like if something is somehow not going right or oh, that's because it was short script somehow behind the scenes versus when everything's going right that's the ehr that's providing fantastic value to people that that's the ongoing challenge of being this type of brand is also making sure and that's why it's so important to keep building that reputation is that's sort of the defense mechanism you, you have to it's like the intel inside you have to to still be able to be known even though somehow you're you're in, you have an intermediary that makes it harder for you to be known so I want, I want to spend a moment on that because you're seeing a number of really subtle but important things. EHR, electronic health records, that's yeah. the term? Okay. Oh, yeah. So essentially, you're, if, if I'm capturing it correctly, Brian, when you're the infrastructure, there's that notion. It's almost like we don't appreciate the lights until we don't have our lights. No one's thanking the electric company, but suddenly we're mad with them when the lights go off. I feel that is sort of an analogy to the challenge, the branding challenge here. But what was most inspiring that I interpreted from the exchange here is the, again, it's strategic, the intent in sure scripts not to get excessively greedy and brand all the content and all of the tools and dictate that it has that brand, but rather serving for usability and making sure it's the content and the tools and the explanations get used. It was wiser to make it white label, if you will. And exactly. that's a really subtle and important distinction. And I think that requires a degree of quiet confidence on the part of a brand to know that if I want my point of view or my platform or my content to get used, sometimes it's wise to brand it, but often the probability of it being picked up by another is greater if you let them brand it. I think that's a really important lesson Melanie, I, I don't know if you'd like to double click on that, but it's subtle, but I think it's wise and, and many of our listeners could benefit from being thoughtful around when to brand and when not to brand, when to be generous and when to take credit. What, what are your thoughts on that? No, that's a, that is a great question and great, you know, it is a quandary. The materials typically have very subtle in the back corner somewhere powered by show scripts. They do have that, but it's not in our colors. It's in the color palette of the organization who is using it. It looks like their piece. Yeah. And it should look like their piece because they're talking to their customers. And 
it's beneficial to all of us to make sure that when they're talking to their customers, they've got the right message about how to use this. And we already have that. We've already developed that. So that's where this scales really beautifully in a partner program if you've got a, a trusted relationship with your partners. Um, we did, you know, in terms of team too, it's also, again, a great team. We've got, you know, a great partner team working with our sales organization to bring us into these conversations and make the partner marketing program part of the customer conversation. And so work with hundreds of partners across the country right now to help empower their marketing teams and actually their sales teams, because we'll, we'll actually do sales enablement with them, you know, for yes. them. Yeah. And, and of course, usability as well, because ultimately there's the sales component and then there's the user adoption component. And I imagine you need content for both scenarios. Yes, uh, yes. Yeah. Melanie, you touched on something and I see another question coming in in the chat around you use the word trust. I want to invite you to double click on trust because it's probably one of the most misused words in brand and in healthcare. So how do you think about defining trust as it pertains to SureScript's brand? And a secondary question, linking that to measurement. So the questioner asks, I see you're thinking about consideration as a metric. What about trust? Do you measure that? So lots to unpack there, please, Melanie. Sure. So trust, we, we realized was a business issue for us pretty early on. And we, I mean, we're running a health information network with over 20 billion healthcare information transactions going across the network every year. That's a big deal. And that's really important information, personal information, business information from our partners. And trust is critical in that context. And so actually we did, we worked on it to define what we meant by it because Brian was clearly saying to us, you can't just say, trust me. <laughs> you have to say why and, and, and define what you mean by that. And so we did, and we went through this process and I'll just give you the definition for, for us at ShareScripts, it means our commitment to network integrity. And that has three elements to it right now. Um, access, so we really work and we've got a whole access approach for on how organizations are enabled to access the network and how we monitor those who do access the network to make sure that they're using it for the purposes they had planned to use it for. So we've got a whole technology behind this now as well. So in terms of measurement, we can measure what is happening there, how many we have on, how many can't come up, like we can measure that. We have in, the, in security, of course, and certainly there's a whole business there as part of our chief information security officer, CISO, who, who leads that. And then performance. And this is an exciting place where measurement comes into play, too. Performance is really about how well each of the solutions that we're doing performs. Is it a quality, in this case, I'll say transaction? And the business product innovation had really worked with our development team to, an example, put a whole program together across the network to improve the quality of a prescription. And we can measure 
with each of our partners how much a prescription has improved in terms of quality. And it's, you know, it's tremendous. It's like 80% improvement in the last five years. It's, it's tremendous. And that's part of our engagement with our partners around convening because we all work on that together. So measurement for us there in these areas of trust has to do more with the actual measurement of the business than just that people trust us, though we do measure trust in our reputation survey. Melanie, I want to make sure we understand. You said quality of the prescription. You don't mean efficacy of the medication. What What do you no, mean by quality sorry, yeah. of the prescription? The, the, the information that comes over the network, uh -huh. sometimes a pharmacist may have to look at the prescription and make a phone call to the prescriber or facts, they'll have to step out of their workflow to confirm something because they didn't, that something's not quite fully informed there, for example. You know, there are some great examples of there are many ways to say, many ways, many ways to say, take one pill, you know, three times daily in a prescription. And so there is work done there to, you know, codify that work to make sure that it was, you know, not just prescribing, it's all of the different things that we steward yes. across the network, right? Our customers are working with us all the time to improve the quality of what goes over the network. Understood, thank you for that clarification. Brian, Any anything you'd build on that? Mm -hmm. I know you were extensively involved in the trust initiative. Well, just one bill is, you know, as many said, obviously, like, you know, you're not more trusted by telling people, trust me, <laughs> in the sense of that, you know, maybe an obvious key insight, but linked to that, that just means trust, the proof's in the pudding, if you trust is the experience. And so to what, you know, Melanie was describing also in terms of, of metrics, you know, regarding equality and, and security and, and access, it's about making sure if that experience is what we are promising people it should be, then they will trust us, right? I mean, in the sense that it's not about as long as what we, as long as what we're claiming is what we're doing or what we're delivering, that's what trust is, right? People trust, and you have to do it repeatedly in the sense of that. So, the same thing as per brand in terms of repetition helps in getting mm -hmm. a, a reputation for something. In trust, it's the same thing. You will trust something if it delivers time and time and time again, then you expect it. And then you even actually will forgive it if it doesn't deliver because it'll, you know, as long as you have that track record, if you've actually built that trust, people will be more forgiving if there is an actual, you know, issue in some way. So I think it's also, it, you know, back to, to what Melanie was saying regarding kind of defending brand, trust is also a defensive measure, if you will, in some ways, because it, it actually at least insulates you more against, you know, any any potential issues that can that can come up. Yeah, and it comes up all the time, Brian, doesn't it, with clients who want to be trusted. But I, I think what you're clarifying is you have to earn that. It's an outcome. It might be an aspiration as well, but it's an outcome of consistently keeping your promises. So it circles back to make sure you articulate promises that you can keep and deliver on in the experience. Exactly. And it really actually in the end, not a marketing thing. It really is an experience thing, if you will. And so, which you know. brings us full circle to where Melanie started, which is, it's not about marketing, it's about the business. It's not about the marketing department, it's about alignment around everyone who's responsible for delivering those promises in the C-suite. 
As we come to the end of the conversation, Melanie, I want to come back to you and ask you to, now that you've had the benefit of five years of this brand work and more on the horizon, what excites you, what continues to excite you about SureScripts and your brand programs there? And what's your advice to other CMOs listening who are inspired by your journey, the work you've done to build the brand, how to stay excited, how to stay the course? And what other counsel would you offer? Sure. Um, so what excites me? I mean, it's an honor to work for uh, an organization who I, I believe in the purpose and I believe and feel the work that we're doing every day. And, you know, when I go to my doctor, I can ask, do you see this yet? And that kind of thing. Um, so it's an honor to work in a, an organization that you believe in the purpose and you can feel that what we haven't talked about is employee engagement as well. It's really, uh, you know, releasing this brand and and bringing all employees into it is really exciting. And I think, you know, one of the things, there are plenty of things to do to evolve the brand. And we've got some of that even happening as we speak. But one of the things that we most, re even yesterday, talked about is we're pretty partnered with our HR department, thinking about for next year, you know, how do we work closer together to both continue to recruit, you know, our recruiting track record, but also now that we're all virtual, more virtual, I'm in the office, but we're more virtual than we ever were, right? How do we engage employees in this incredible promise who may or may not have spent a whole lot of time in the office to feel it? So we're, I'm excited about re-engaging in that work. Advice I would have is, Number one thing is to make sure you've got a like-minded organization. It is a lot of work and, and it may not pay off to start, you know, starting an organization that isn't quite there. Um, but once you're there, to not expect the whole thing to be built in a year. Bite it off in small pieces that are aligned with where you are as a business at that point. And eventually it'll evolve. Marvelous. Brian, similar question to you in the sense for what are your observations working over the five years with SureScripts that may inform lessons for other CMOs, best practices, things to avoid, et cetera? Well, I mean, I think, you know, really the, the thing that also I've found most pleasurable, fulfilling, I guess, at, at working with Melanie and, and, and SureScripts is you feel like the work is having an impact in the sense that it's not it's not just about powerpoints it's actually things that start changing things and that you see the impact happening and that's you know both exciting and and sort of fulfilling because you sort of you know it, it's not abstract it's it's tangible and it and it's real and so i think i don't know sort of i i think that does go to what melanie was saying in terms of like don't just try to do some huge thing and and do everything all at once i think it is about sort of making that connection, think about the business, what does the business need? How can you actually then craft an initiative that is going to both deliver some longer term benefits from a brand building standpoint, but also resolve some potentially sort of nearer term business challenges or you know th things that that sort of tie tie to the business because I think that's going to be much one much easier to get that executive alignment because they'll sort of understand you know why why it's being done and it also will make it easier to actually you know get get the work done as opposed to sort of get into a place where a lot of things have happened but then nothing's really happened yet on the ground because I think that's that's an important thing is actually thinking 
and, and that is more, you know, on, on Melanie's side than, than on my side or on the sort of seagull and girl side. We're sort of thinking about, okay, when I'm doing these things, how am I going to then execute and, and, you know, carry it through and, and consistently carry it through, as we were saying, is that, that being important. Okay. Well, thank you, Brian. Thank you, Melanie. Fascinating case study. Fascinating to see. I've been watching it for the last five years, the evolution, extraordinary work and extraordinary partnership. Thank you, Melanie. Thank you, Brian. And to our audience, I invite you back next week, specifically November 16th, I am doing another behind the scenes case study. This time I'm joined by the global CMO and the US CMO of our client KPMG and members of the Siegel and Gale team who worked on that award-winning brand evolution. I invite you to send me questions and I invite you to join all of us on that webinar. This program will also be shared on the Siegel and Gale Says podcast momentarily. So if you would like to share that with your colleagues, we will be sure to drop it in the next week or so on the podcast. With that, on behalf of all of us at Siegel and Gale, thank you very much. Thank you for listening. You can learn more about our work and read our thought leadership on SiegelGale.com. Subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcast or wherever you listen. While you're at it, leave us a review. See you next time.